Other side of the coin is travel. Travel prices have gone up, but in general, travel is cheaper. It's very accessible. You have low-cost carrier flights. The advent of Instagram travel influencers makes people, especially who have never traveled, want to go to specific destinations to get very specific photos and videos of places they've seen on Instagram. And they think that is what travel is. If I go there and wait in line and get this shot of me in a dress in Mykonos wearing the gown blowing, that's my travel experience and I get to share it with the world. And if I didn't post it on Instagram, it didn't happen, right? That's the other side of the coin. So I think it's our responsibility from destinations, from other travel influencers. We have a responsibility as storytellers to share what travel actually is about. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Now Boarding, a new travel podcast by me, Pyle Nair. This show aims at creating awareness about ecotourism, sustainable tourism, responsible travel, and a lot more. We will cover stories and journeys of people who are ecotourism specialists and those who are leaders in their field. We will also be talking to people who have had unique travel experiences, remarkable conceptual places to stay, unexplored cultures and ancient histories of various towns and cities around the world. Join me in this journey of knowing more about travel. Get inspired to see the world and discover your inner self. Hi, everyone. Today, I am in conversation with the very, very talented Michaela Melozzi. Michaela is a professional dancer. She's a trained musician, but most importantly, she is the host and executive producer of the four-time Emmy Award-winning television travel series, Bare Feet with Michaela Melozzi. And I am really excited to be talking to Michaela all about cultural sustainability and also about her travels. So thank you so much for joining me today, Michaela. Thank you, Pyle. And thank you for staying up late for this interview. (laughs) I run opposite sides of the world. (laughs) I know, seriously, literally 12 hours apart, but I'm used to it. So, (laughs) okay. So Michaela, let's start a little bit with your background. And are you originally from the US? Have you lived anywhere else you're not connected with your travel show but sure otherwise yeah just a yeah. little bit of your background yeah so I am Italian American my parents are both immigrants from southern Italy a small little town which has a huge impact on the show and its inspiration for the show I grew up in an immigrant community when I went to NYU for university I always felt drawn towards other immigrant communities because of that shared experience and the inspiration for the show, the very first pilot episode we shot in my family's hometown in Southern Italy, because I wanted to reconnect with my own roots in this way of showcasing that I knew the language, I was related to half the town. So it was kind of this easy in on creating a series that had never existed before of traveling the world through dance and music. But much like many people who study abroad, I studied abroad my sophomore summer at university and caught the travel bug. I also traveled when I was little, not very much. We didn't travel very much. I come from a blue collar family, but my grandparents lived in Italy in this little farmhouse. And we spent maybe a handful of summers about four years apart from each other. And that also had a huge impact on me because when we would go there, we would stay for about a month 
it wasn't just a vacation. We would go there and live there and work there and work on the farm and kill the rabbits and chickens and help jar the tomatoes and all of these things that were really tied into how travel was implanted in my brain of this is what you do when you travel. You don't just sit on a beach and do nothing. You are active. You are connected to the community. You are part of that community. And that really left an indelible mark in my brain and in my heart on how I travel to this day. So I live in New York City. I've been living in New York since I left my parents' house <laughs> and went to New York University and then stayed here. But I travel quite often. And I said, I caught the travel bug. I've lived many different lives. I used to work in the music industry. Then I was a dance teacher and uh, a performer here in New York and had this aha moment of wanting to travel the world through the lens of dance and music because I was doing that anyway. And I couldn't speak the local language. I would connect with people through the universal language of dance. And here we are, this iteration of my life is now our TV show. I am American. But again, I identify my parents are very much Italian <laughs> and so is my whole extended family. I just got back about less than a week ago from being there this summer. So it, it's been a wonderful connection with my culture and using that as a platform to really connect with other cultures. Yeah. I know that was a very extended answer to <laughs> where did I live? Yeah, no. But it's all connected, Kyle, right? It's all connected. I, I agree. I agree. And when you talk about immigrants and how... The next generation has a very different view because the exposure is different. But like you mentioned, your parents are still very much Italian. I think it happens with most of the immigrants uh, when they've moved into another country, especially to the U.S. Yeah. So, yeah, no, so I completely get that. Can you, what is your understanding of cultural sustainability? Yeah, so... I think when people hear the phrase cultural sustainability, it, it marks, it's a phrase that may be misunderstood slightly because it, I've said it to some people and they said, it sounds a little bit nationalistic and that's not what it is at all. I'm not promoting the idea of maintaining and purifying people's cultures, right? We have to keep people in a bubble. What cultural sustainability means is, <clears throat> especially when we travel, when you're going into a place, into a town or a city or a village or a country or any place that's not your own, are you adding benefit to that location and to the people that are there? Or are you, is it detrimental? Meaning are your money's going to the local economy? Is your money going to a huge corporation that doesn't even, isn't even located in that destination? Or is it going to the mom and pop shops, the small businesses, the family owned businesses, the artisans, the cooks, the chefs, the people that live there? That's cultural sustainability. Is this location and the culture of people living here sustainable with you traveling there? So what we do too, part of that cultural sustainability story is the dance, the music, the art, the stories, the history, the costumes, the regalia, the food, obviously, all of these things. But with cultural sustainability, I think it's us as responsible travelers or trying to be responsible travelers is to think about these things. I think the word sustainability is something that everyone strives for, but it's a scary word because people think they have to give up something yeah. to be sustainable. And yes, try don't use one use plastics. Don't be sending your towels to be cleaned every day. These are very simple things, but overall is are you connecting with the local culture through the people that live there, that work there, that make this place special? 
And that to me is what cultural sustainability is. So uh, when I talk about cultural sustainability, that's the whole message of our show. I think over the years, the mission has never changed with bare feet. It's always been, I'm going to travel the world, whether that's here in New York City, in my own backyard, or across the globe in Singapore, and connect with people through the universal language of dance and music. And through that language, they take me into their culture. So then I'm sitting and having a meal with them, or they're taking me into their family's home. And all of these things happen because I connect with them through dance and music. With cultural sustainability, people can do that on an everyday basis. And I think, again, like I said, people, the word sustainability is scary because they think they have to give up something. But in the end, when you just talk to a person and understand learn their story, learn why they started this business, learn why they're working at this hotel, learn why they started making these things. You're gaining something. You're having an incredible experience and learning more about the culture. And that's the starting point of cultural sustainability. I think we have to remember what makes these places so amazing are the people that live there. And if it's bombarded with over-tourism or even tourism that's detrimental, those people leave and they can't afford to stay there or they don't want to stay there anymore. And then that place isn't the place that it, what made it special. So there's so many levels of cultural sustainability, but I think the main point is you don't lose anything from being a sustainable traveler, a responsible traveler. You're actually gaining so much more, so much more. You understand the culture, you learn about the place. And you, yeah, and you respect the culture. Exactly. And you identify the fact that it is not your culture but it is still someone else's and you are in their environment and you're in their community so how do you respect and how do you integrate I think that's the key yeah absolutely yeah I when people say oh I don't want to travel you know travel like a local yes or I'm not a tourist you are a tourist yeah acknowledge that Acknowledge that when I go to every other country or every other city that's not New York City, because that's where I live, I am a tourist. But do I want to be a responsible tourist? Yes. Do I want to make friends while I'm there? Yes. That's the point. Best memories that I have of my travels are the people that I meet. And I make friends everywhere I go. I like to say I make new friends by dancing with strangers. And that is the truth. I go back to places I visited. I'm not the type of person who is counting the number of countries I go to and always have to go to a new place. I love going back to places I've been because I've made connections there. I'm going back to Ireland in March. That'll be my 13th time I've been to Ireland. And I have so many friends there because I've danced with them. I've brought travel groups there. I've worked with them. It's amazing. I've been to Argentina three times. There are places that I want to go I do want to go to, but there are places that I go back to because I've cultivated friendships. And I think that's also a goal with cultural sustainability. If you go into a place, run amok and leave, that's like going into someone's home and just literally trashing their home and leaving. Yeah, correct. Think about you're entering someone's home and you talk to them, you cook with them, you help clean their house a little bit, you take out the trash. These are things that you do out of courtesy and think of a destination as someone's home. Because it is someone's home. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Maybe just a very expanded home. Big. <laughs> it still is someone's home. Yeah, you, yeah, you're right. So how does, you've mentioned it a little bit, but if you could just highlight it some more, how crucial and important is it for cultural, environmental, and 
economical sustainability to sort of merge together. That's extremely important. And what I found is post-COVID, and when I say post-COVID, post-lockdown, because I work a lot with destination marketing organizations, tourism boards, local governments that are trying to bring tourists back to their destination. And as we know, tourism is back, right? People are traveling again. I don't know if you've traveled this summer, but it was a mess. Yeah. You know, it was an absolute I mess. Agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I travel all the time. So right. yeah, yeah. It's full throttle. It doesn't matter when you're, what day you're traveling, where you're traveling to, the, the airports are full, everything's full, which is a good thing to see that people are traveling again. They feel confident in travel. But what I've seen too in tourism boards and destinations that are tr- the marketing for travel is they've changed their messaging because they've realized what makes their destination so amazing. They also had the time to see what these destinations looked like without over tourism and the places that can sustain their economies with not having too many people there. But also, example, Barbados is a perfect example. They have a sustainability program where they are planting over a million trees over the next, I think, five years. And so as a tourist coming to their island, you can join on that program and plant trees while you're there as part of this experience. So you're meeting local people who are, because it's not just tourists, it's the locals who are doing this as well. So you're meeting local families, you're getting to see beautiful parts of the island. Another part is for the sea turtle project to help with the nesting. They want you to really be a part of this and see what makes this island so special. They also have completely new bike lanes everywhere. They're really promoting people to start biking around the islands. And seeing the island in a different way versus in the car or just staying on a resort. But then you also have the beauty of crop over, the beauty of the culture that's there, that's from there. The black culture, the island culture of Barbados. And a lot of these destinations are realizing this is what makes us so special. This is what is really about um, our destination. It's not the resorts and the hotels. You can get that anywhere. It's a mall, basically. That's how I feel. Yes, if you want to stay in a beautiful luxury hotel, fine. But what they're really seeing is our island is different from the other island because of the culture we have, or our destination is different because of the culture we have. And I think that's the beauty of what's come out of from travel, again, post-lockdown COVID, is realizing the people's culture from the people that live there, that's what makes these destinations so special. And yes, of course, this is about capitalizing that for marketing dollars, but these are destinations that depend on tourism. So if you can use your local culture, again, this goes back to cultural sustainability. If you're using your local culture and empowering the local community and putting those monies back into the local community versus the major resorts that, again, their headquarters may not be local, that's empowering your own community. That's giving back to the community. That's empowering the younger generation of people who don't want to leave those destinations for other jobs. They want to stay and really be part of that local community. So things like that, like I said, I work a lot with the Dingle Peninsula tourism in Ireland. Same thing. 96% of Dingle Peninsula is part of the Southwest part of Ireland in County Kerry. 96% of the businesses in Dingle are family owned. I don't know any destination that's like that. It's incredible. And they're about a population, I think, of 3,000, 4,000 maybe in this town. And they get over a million visitors a year. But they really cultivate that local 
feel the family owned businesses. So when you go into a shop, you're meeting the people who started that business or their father started that business. They're making the pieces that you're buying. You go to the local pubs that night and you're having a drink with them at the bar. It's real. That's real. And they've realized the value in that. And they also realize to them, we don't have to change what makes this place special. We make this place special. So it's really, yeah, it's their uniqueness, which is what they want people to start to understand and feel a part of. So, so then it just traditionally, it goes from one generation to the next and uh, the younger people want to stay because they feel like they're proud of their culture. They're empowered. They're empowered. They're empowered. And it's the bigger cities that really that lost that or the bigger destinations that lost that that now have to come back and figure out how do we either go back and find what makes us so special like the barcelona's venice it was great because in during covid there were no cruise ships that went in they realized wow the canals are cleaner we can actually live here and it's more beautiful let's keep that going the summer was a mess everywhere. <laughs> Let's be real. So there is a learning curve, but I think local governments have to be very much involved with policy. The local residents have to be very much involved, not just with policy, but with product that's available. So if you're if the locals don't have anything to offer to tourists that are coming, that's a local experience, then they're kicking themselves in the foot. And then also you have to have hotels or bed and breakfast or some sort of local sustainability with actual places to stay. Because in a place like, let's say, I'll go back to my example of Dingle. A lot of these do Ireland in a week tours. You get on the big bus and you go around and you hit every single city in a week, which I think is insane. And then you, Uh, and then you just take off. You take off the buses. And they would pop through Dingle on for an afternoon for maybe three hours and do the shopping and you're out. Well, you miss the best parts at night. You're going to the pubs and you're meeting all these people. There are trad sessions. There's a, you're, you're sharing these experiences. So when I go and I bring a group there, we stay for three days. And at first, when people see that on the itinerary, they think, why are we staying in this little rinky dink town for three days? Then when they leave, they say, that was my favorite part of the trip. Because you, they really felt like a part of that community. And there has to be that initiative. There's all these, from the tourist side, you have to slow down and take more time. You can't just get on a big bus and tick off the boxes and see the cities from this window of a coach bus. That's that to me, that's not travel. Are you talking to anybody where you go? Second is the local governments and third are the residents. There's all the policy, the locals, and the tourists. There has to be this synergy. I know that's a lot to ask, but again, like I said, you gain so much. Your travel experience is so much more fulfilling and beautiful. Have you seen? If you just watch our show. If you yeah, watch our show, absolutely. that's I, yeah. Yeah, like absolutely. I have a smile on my face the whole time. That's because I slow down. I slow down, and I, I really. So have you seen? What do you think is the future of cultural sustainability? Do you think it's evolving? Do you think that? The communities are travelers. I won't call them tourists. I would say travelers. Are they, from all your experiences, do you see that they are now starting to get more and more connected with the local communities? Have you, over the years, because you've been doing this for a while now, have you seen changes and have in a positive I- way? 
I have. There's it's it's kind of together because there's a few factors. I've seen, especially again, post lockdown, small group tours have been on the rise for bookings. People okay. want, first of all, it was because of safety, because of COVID. That was the initial. Then people realized, wow, it's a better experience and people are traveling longer. So instead of taking a week, they're maybe taking 10 days to two weeks and trying to truncate or staying in one place longer. So that's the good news. The other side of the coin is travel. Travel prices have gone up, but in general, travel is cheaper. It's very accessible. You have low-cost carrier flights. The advent of Instagram travel influencers makes people, especially who have never traveled, want to go to specific destinations to get very specific photos and videos of places they've seen on Instagram. And they think that is what travel is. If I go there and wait in line and get this shot of me in a dress in Mykonos wearing the gown blowing, that's my travel experience. And I get to share it with the world. And if I didn't post it on Instagram, it didn't happen, right? That's the other side of the coin. So I think it's our responsibility from destinations, from other travel influencers, we have a responsibility as storytellers to share what travel actually is about. I like that a lot of influencers now are sharing the Instagram versus reality. So they show the picture and then they show the line of a thousand people waiting to take the same shot so that they realize, do you really want to wait in line for three hours just to take an Instagram photo? Or would you rather spend that three hours going to the local pub or going to a restaurant and and chatting with people on the beach or having an actual experience. So yes, I've seen a, a growth in people slowing down, but they're at the same speed because of the transmission of information, especially through Instagram and TikTok, is that people still crave, especially younger people who haven't traveled as much, are craving that experience that they're seeing on social media. And that's a problem. That's a real problem. I think what's really wonderful is when you have, I've seen this before, when you have kids, especially young people who have a travel experience that forces them to do, maybe it's study abroad or volunteer abroad, or maybe they had a travel mishap and things didn't go as planned, but it turned out, it always turns out better than you think, right? When you have an experience where sort of put to the test of what are your limits in a bad situation. And I'm saying a safe, bad situation, like your flight gets canceled or you're stuck somewhere for a day or two. And you have to reach out to your community of people who are on the same flight that are stuck and you make friends. That's where you start to realize this is the the good part. This is the juicy stuff, right? But it's hard. I, I think Cultural sustainability, again, depends on the destinations too. People have to put caps. Destinations have to put caps on people going to places. And that's just the reality of it. Now that more people travel, there's less space in a place that less people were traveling to before. And I know that sounds, it's not fair because everybody wants to go see these places. And I feel very privileged that I've traveled quite a bit. But there are a lot of places I've never been. And if that destination says to me, we don't want you here, I want to respect that culture and that destination and say, me going there is not going to add any benefit to their local destination. And if they're telling me, we don't want you here, Hawaii is a perfect example. We don't want you here. Don't go there. 
Yeah. Or if they say you can come here, but it has to be in this way, follow that so that the people aren't going to lose their lives in some cases. It's dangerous for the local economies and local communities when there's over tourism. So I, I think it's a lot of different parts. You have the responsibility of the tourists, but the responsibility of the travel storytellers and the responsibility of the local destinations. Again, it's so many moving parts, but yeah, I have this struggle all the time because I have a travel show. I promote travel. I hope to instead promote culture and people, but in the end it is promoting travel to some of these destinations, to all of these destinations really. And I always think, am I, I am part of the problem. I am part of the problem, but what I'm hoping is in my show is we're showing the people and what's so beautiful about these places versus just the best hotel or the best spa or the best restaurant to go to. That's what I'm hoping to do with my show. But again, I, I always think about this. Should we film a season seven? I want to, um, I would love to, I would love to tell stories that aren't being told. Um, so when you go into a, a place or a, con- or a, town or a city or a destination and you obviously are filming how do you feel what kind of okay permissions is one but in terms of the communities that are in at those how welcoming are they how do they find you sometimes to be extremely intrusive and I feel very lucky. We're a very small crew. (laughs) We're public television. We're PBS. (laughs) I know I have a friend who has a show on Nat Geo and they're a crew of 20 to 30 people. We're a crew of three. We're very tiny. And when I started the show seasons one and two, it was just me and one girl filming the whole show. And that's, I pick up the phone and I call every single person that we feature on our show. If we're working with international destinations, I work with the tourism boards and they help translate. And I work very closely with them on who I want to meet with and how we want to meet with them and how we want to tell their story. So it's never, I just show up and here I am and here's this girl and she's just going to bop in and bop out. It's never that way. There have been times where it's been lost in translation, but it always works out because I think I meet with dance groups and people that dance and music are their life and it not necessarily always professional musicians in a lot of cultures, dance and music is part of everyday life. So they may be doctors, lawyers, cab drivers, but they're world, like they are virtuosic musicians and dancers. And of course we meet with professionals, working professionals as well. But I think when they see me, I genuinely love my job. I genuinely love dancing. If you ever watch the show, and I'm only saying this because I, every person I meet that watches the show that's that, or reaches out to me on social media or emails a fan mail, they say, Michaela, when I watch your show, there's just this smile on your face. And yeah. that is genuine. I'm not an actress. I'm not a, I, I'm, I was never trained to be on camera. That's just who I am. So if you ever see me in real life and there's music playing, I can't keep still. I genuinely love connecting with people through dance. I was doing this before the cameras were on me. That's why I had this idea for the show. So I've never, knock on wood, never been, there's never been animosity or resentment, or it's always been overwhelmingly welcome for me and my crew. I think because we go with so much respect, we go with this idea that I'm here 
I'm never the expert. I'm here to learn. I'm the perpetual student. And they see that I'm hungry for it. So as I'm dancing, you see it in real time. I, I don't go and rehearse with these groups beforehand. Whatever on camera is what's happening. And I think they see that genuine excitement and love and openness from my end that they keep wanting to give me more. And so it's always been a beautiful experience. Again, I'm always very aware of I am this little white girl going into these places who I don't want, I'm very aware of not taking on cultural appropriation, right? I ask for permission to wear the costume. I ask for permission to be dancing with them and make music with them. If I'm not given permission, we don't do it, right? If there's, especially if there's a cultural barrier where the women aren't allowed to do this or very specific things, then I don't do it because... <clears throat> I can't. And the point of this is for me to be able to try. doesn't mean I have to be perfect at it. It's just to try. But so far it's been wonderful, but I am very aware. And I think I, that's my superpower is going into a place, <clears throat> excuse me, and making people feel comfortable with me. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> it's a privilege. It's an honor. It's a, uh, I, like I said, I have the best job in the world. I love my job. And the people I work with are just as respectful. I wouldn't have them on my crew if they weren't. They would. They wouldn't be. It's just part of the the package deals. Yeah, I keep. I don't even remember what the question was. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Even I haven't. So sort of, I've just been listening to you. So yeah, before we wrap up a little bit about your show, because. I think before we started recording, you mentioned that you've got a new season on in November. So yeah, we have season, yeah, se season six is coming out to PBS stations across the United States and Canada and the, on the PBS app and PBS Passport Player and PBS.org starting in November. And it was, it is traveling the world within the five boroughs of New York City. So our season five and six, we actually filmed all together, all 12 episodes and we've released them six episodes for season five and six episodes for season six. And we filmed them not too long after the world started opening up from COVID, which is why we couldn't travel internationally for a long time. But to be honest, I love doing my New York seasons because it's my home. This is how I see New York. These are people that I love. A lot of the people you see in the shows, half of the people I know, there are people that I know from the dance community. And then the other half are it's this beautiful kind of web of love because I'll start with a group that I know and a culture that I want to feature. And then they say, oh, have you reached out to this person and this person? And then it just kind of builds in this beautiful story of this local community or this, you know, neighborhood or a culture. So our very first as the season premiere episode is called Empower NYC because over the years I've met so many amazing people that use dance to empower their communities, but it's not necessarily neighborhood based or culturally based. So I dance with this group called the Pacemakers who are a 65 plus dance group based in, they, they dance for the Brooklyn Cyclones, which is the local uh, baseball team out in, in Coney Island. Though I think the youngest is 65, the oldest is 83. You know, it's like an amazing group of seniors yeah. who dance, they love dance. I dance with the disabled dancers. We dance with the Table of Silence, which is in remembrance of the 9-11 attacks in New York City, using dance for healing. We dance with the, we do voguing for the LGBTQ community. So that's our Empower NYC. And the rest are all 
neighborhood based. So the Garifuna community in the Bronx, half the people don't even know who the Garifuna people are. It's this amazing community of over 250,000 people in the Bronx. They came from an island in St. Vincent and were exiled to Honduras back in the 1800s, or excuse me, late 1700s, and have maintained this beautiful culture. <clears throat> we have little Sri Lanka and Staten Island. We have little Caribbean out in Brooklyn. There's the Latinx episode where we're bopping around New York and we can't cover every single culture, but it's yeah. in a 30 minute episode, but it's really amazing. And our Arab American episode out in, in Brooklyn. And so we really focus on communities that don't always get the spotlight. And for this, it was, you feel like you're traveling the world. Yeah. I was going even to, have to say, use a passport. I was going to say, because you talked about, you know, Sri Lankan Arab different communities without totally having to New York, which is quite interesting. So yeah, yeah, so fascinating stuff. And you also have a podcast. I have heard a couple of, you do have a podcast, right? We've put it on hold. I I, I love that. I kind of want to start it up again. We've put it on hold. <laughs> yeah, because, because I have heard a couple of episodes and didn't you. realize that you put it on hold. No, interesting. Yeah, we do want to start it. We do want to start it up again. It's only because making a TV show is a lot and we're a very small team. <laughs> it's really just me. <laughs> There's only 24 hours in a day. It's all the planning. Exactly. Missions. Um, yeah creating stories. I can imagine there's a lot that goes into it, but I think you're doing a phenomenal yeah. job. Thank you so much, Miguel, for talking to me and for sharing, you know, this passion that you have for being able to create an awareness for different communities, whether the different communities are within the United States or all your travels across the world. And I think it's a great way of bringing people together. So thank you so much, Mikel. I really enjoyed this chat with you. Thank you, Pyle. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs> great. You have a good morning. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Now Boarding, a travel podcast. Check out other episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And of course, don't forget to share your thoughts with us. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes only on Now Boarding, a travel podcast.